Heidi Ho, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of March 9, 2015. This is episode 252, and I'm Chris Bevelo, Executive Vice President at Revive Health. With me today is Adam Meyer, also with the Revive Health. Hello. Hey, we're missing somebody. <laughs> we are. It's the two man show today. It's the it's the manly man show. <laughs> Jackie Olson is out because she's finally starting a maternity leave. Yes, because she had her baby. Yay! Yeah, beautiful she little girl. Beautiful little girl. Uh, it was. Do you remember the date? Uh, um, well, it was a week ago from Sunday. It's about a week and a half ago now. Week whatever that's whatever that Sunday was. A, a Sunday. Remember. A Sunday evening or morning. It was Sunday morning. Yeah, that's right. Um, Le- Lenora Yvonne Olson, born yes. Sunday. Uh, I guess that would have been the twenty second. I guess yep. the twenty second. Uh, at six forty five, seven pounds, ten ounces, and everybody's doing good. Mm-hmm. So, congrats to Jackie. I'm sure she's going to be listening because she's going to have. She won't have a lot of time on her hands, but she'll have time to listen to podcasts. <laughs> and I'm sure she's anxiously awaiting this next one. So, hi, Jackie. Hope all's going well. We're going to stop by and see the baby. Yep. You got to get his dip tat. You know what that's from? <laughs> what was that? From Raising Arizona. Oh, I've seen that. What it, oh, I've seen it many times. What it, What was the line? You haven't got his dip tat? You got to get his dip tat. <laughs> I don't remember that line. Which is kind of funny. Should. That actually goes into one of our topics today, getting your vaccinations. You got to get oh, your dip yes. tat. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised we haven't seen that come out as a meme some, for some reason. Uh, if you've never seen Raising Arizona, you have no clue what I'm talking about. I'm not even going to no. get into it. But one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Easily one of the funniest movies. Classic. Classic. Okay, so we're going to move. we got some controversial topics today. Uh, before we get to those, though, uh, again, I will be speaking April 14th at the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategies Summit in Las Vegas, speaking with Chris Ernst, who is Vice President at El Camino Hospital. Our topic is Embracing Change, One Organization Shift to the New Paradigm. So you're going to get to hear about how a health system has jumped in the deep end with digital uh, and is keeping its head above water with this kind of change. Sometimes it probably feels like it's drowning. Uh, I'm sure Chris will talk to that, but uh, it's the only way to get to move forward. And so they're doing some amazing things there. And you'll get to hear about what they're doing and the challenges they're facing and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, May 20th through 22nd is the Neshko conference. Uh, and I will be speaking then. I can't remember the date exactly. One of those days. I think it's the 21st, Thursday, the 21st. Doing a keynote. Joe Public still doesn't care about your hospital. Uh, there's a couple other uh, conferences in April and May, but I'll get to those uh, later when we get more information on them. Don't forget Joe Public 2 still flying off the shelves. Uh, it's a great book. Keep getting feedback on it. Uh, and, and that's great to hear. So glad it's resonating with people. JoePublic2.com where you can purchase it and learn more about it. Our digital marketing audit at intervalaudit.com. It's also still being heavily used. Fantastic tool. If you want to go in and assess your digital marketing assets and Joe public retreat. Yes, there will be another Joe public retreat. We're still trying to figure out a date. Uh, sometime this spring or summer. So stay tuned. I think that's it. 
Any other any other uh, updates or messages or notes, Adam? I think you covered it. Nothing else is coming to mind. There's a lot of stuff. Yes, a lot of stuff. Okay, so let's do... First, let's talk about the Supreme Court. And we've got a little bit of deja vu going on because, once again, the Accountable Care Act is hanging in the balance. Dun, dun, dun. Um, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we've, we've been through this before. Uh, and if you, I'm sure everybody remembers, though some people might have like blanked out on, on the, on, on how this all went. There was, was it 2012? Wow. Yeah. I, I suppose. Remember. Three years ago. Yeah. I think that was right. Let's see. Yes. 2012, almost about this time. And the reason I know that is because we have a weekly probe, uh, <laughs> article we're going to pass along to you. But back then it was, uh, Basically, the constitutionality was that what they were looking. I can't remember. They were basically trying to decide whether Obamacare, the ACA, uh, would stand. And as we know, it did stand. Uh, but there, of course, have been that didn't stop opponents from continuing to try to kill it. Um, I, I think the House of Representatives has voted like six thousand four hundred twenty-two times to. <laughs> to completely kill Obamacare. Of course, they're all just like, you know, ceremonial votes because they don't go anywhere. Uh, they still wouldn't go anywhere, even with the Republican-controlled Congress, because uh, they don't have enough of a majority to override a veto. So <clears throat> it's here unless the courts kill it. And now what's happening is there's a challenge, and I think I understand the challenge. Uh, it come, Everybody says it comes down to four words. Do you know what those four words are? Adam, I like cheese to... balls. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what are the four words? I can't remember. I didn't have it pulled up. <laughs> I was hoping you knew. It's something like it has to do with the states. Essentially, what's happening is uh, one part of the law says that uh, states have to set up exchanges, health insurance exchanges. Mm-hmm. And if they don't set them up, then the federal government will set them up. And there are subsidies based on your income level for buying insurance through those exchanges. The subsidies, according to the people who wrote the law and the spirit of the law or the people defending the law, we should put it that way, uh, are applicable regardless of whether a state chooses to create its own exchange. Because in the end... Every state has an exchange, therefore everybody is eligible for the federal subsidies. The opponents of the law are saying that, well, wait a second, this law is written wrong. You know, the way we interpret that is there should only be subsidies for states that have chosen to create their own um, exchanges, and therefore there should not be subsidies uh, for those states that chose not to, even though there's a federal exchange in place. So if that would happen, it wouldn't outright kill the law, but it would likely kill it because it would, first of all, throw millions of people who have insurance out because they wouldn't receive their subsidies and therefore could probably sue to say, well, if you're not giving me the subsidies you promised, I'm not going to, you know, come get me if you really want me to sign up for these exchanges. 
um, it, it tears the support out for the exchange participation for people with lower income. So they heard arguments yesterday. Uh, of course, <laughs> you've got all the pundits they're trying to figure out what they said, and I've read a few articles about it. And that's the that's the weekly probe article. We will give you a link to it. We did this last time, um, where there was all of this, you know, talking head consternation and discussion about well, what did, what did this question mean from this justice, and what does that mean? And oh, this justice really looked pissed off when he asked this question, so that means he's going to vote against it. And it was kind of silly. And of course, most people thought it was doomed last time and it survived so it kind of shows you what all that pro pro prognostication really gets you this article is is about how um you know the weekly probe has figured out by looking at what is reportedly the justices pinterest pages for clues to how they would um actually vote and so we <laughs> this weekly probe created fake Pinterest pages. They're actually real Pinterest pages, or were. Um, like one is called Supreme Robe. So nobody knows if it's <laughs> Anton Scalia, but it looks like him, and it's called Supreme Robe. And his Pinterest page has, for example, a picture of a small, cuddly little bear. And it's and it, and the caption he provided is, "It's Mr. Peebles. Let me some big-headed teddy bears." And then there's another picture of a plate of cookies that says, flower cookies. I bet Roberts would gobble these right up. <laughs> so we were kind of taking the personalities of the of the of a couple of the justices and flipping them on their heads. The other one was Ruth Ginsburg. And her Pinterest page has like a bunch of really violent first-person shooter video game references. And some. I think there was a, some drinking references maybe. <laughs> we had to be really careful, right? I mean, they're public figures, but... <laughs> anyway, it's kind of fun. Good humor. Um, so anyway, I, I don't know what we want to say about it other than that's happening now. And obviously uh, would throw so much stuff up in the air uh, if it was ruled. It was funny. I, I read one story uh, from the proceedings yesterday where some of the justices kind of said, well, look, if we just if we just send this back to Congress, they'll fix this problem. And the defending attorney responded you know this congress question mark and everybody in the courtroom you know laughed erupted in laughter but i don't know what do you think about all of it adam you um, want to give our opinions on this well i don't yeah i don't i mean it's tough it's i don't have a strong opinion on it either way i mean i think it's i think my i guess my strong opinion is that let's just it's here let's try to make it work regardless of what side of the table you're on you you know this is something that's already in motion so rather than trying to foil it you know with every opportunity that seems to arise why don't we just try to make it work you know it's it's obviously i think the intention is well maybe easy for me to say the intention is good um but i mean there's there's there it tries to solve real problems and one of which is um, and I don't know if it comes at the real the, the real problems in the right way. Of course, and you know, we've talked about that in the in, in in the past whether or not this does anything to really impact you know costs that are spiraling spiral 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 good god spiraling. There we go. Costs that are spiraling out of control is you know it, it, I don't know how much it gets to the to the core of that issue, and that I think is probably the biggest issue with with healthcare in this country. Um, but obviously, another issue is you know people not having insurance and and needing care and. And that that's a problem. Uh, so this gets at that problem, and and it's it's a solution, and we need to come up with a solution. 
And rather than trying to foil it, I think we should see where it, where it could go. You know, what can we do to make it work? Um, so in the four words, by the way, you might've said them, um, already, but they are, I did, I did find the, Thank uh, you. An, an economist <laughs> article is established by the state. You were, you, right. were, you basically said it when you were talking about, but that being the issue, but that is the issue. And those are the words written into the, the mandate or the law that, um, is, is, is what could lead to problems here. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Can't, can't we all just get along? I just think it's it's so cynical. Like the four words are established by the state, right? The last time it came under review, it was a legitimate question. Can right. you force people to purchase insurance? And the court kind of ruled that, you know, essentially this is a tax and taxes are const- constitutional. So, yes, this is fine. Um, that That's kind of a nutshell. So that's a legitimate thing, I think, for people to mm-hmm. discuss. And I've always said, you know, yeah, I think that is fair because the whole way the system works is that everybody has to be in an insurance pool for it to work. If only the right. sick people are in it, it doesn't work. And that the other side of it, which is which is so ironic because this, this whole thing started as a Republican idea, a conservative idea. It's not fair to the people who have insurance that have to subsidize the people who don't, who come right. in are, and, and receive care for free because they don't have insurance. They can't pay their bills. They're receiving care. Um, it, it's not right for people to, you know, there's plenty of people who can't afford insurance, but there's also people that just don't take it. And then they, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing as like a seatbelt law, right? right? Or a helmet law on motorcycles. You know, people want their freedom, quote unquote, from the government. But then, you know, you get in an accident without your helmet on and you expect to walk into the emergency room and get care. Well, that's fine. But either you pay for that care because I've been paying for it through insurance. So that if that happens to me, um, it's the, the cost won't be as bad or you're on your own. And I don't think we're going to be ready to do that. Right. So right. so all of that, you know, I, I think it's OK. But that, of course. That's because I support kind of like you do. But this just seems so cynical, right? It's so – it's really coming down to the definition or intent of those four words. And the result will be, honestly, the people that are attacking this, hey, we won. Millions of people lost their subsidies and therefore won't have insurance. Hooray! <laughs> We've done it. You know, We've killed the bill. Um, and in the meantime, thrown millions of people up in the air in their in their personal lives, and and it really would unravel because it's all kind of a house of cards, right? If if there's not enough people in the exchanges, then the insurance companies are going to say, "Wait a second, you promised us promised us all these people in our insurance pools because we're going to have to, for example, no longer ask for pre existing commit." Uh, pre-existing conditions which is going to raise our the amount of money we're going to have to pay out so we need more healthy people in our pools which you know and so it's just going to like i can't even imagine the chaos that would happen and i don't expect congress to just jump in and and fix the bill because that's that's not what they want they want this to die um and so i don't know it's just it just makes me more cynical we'll see where it ends up um it would be kind of heartbreaking, I think, if what I would consider a technicality kills this. And it's amazing it's gotten all the way to the Supreme Court, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, it's all the political theater. You know, it's, it's, I think it's less about... 
it's about winning elections. In my opinion, it comes down. I mean, it's people wanting to win elections. It's people wanting to forward, you know, push forward their their cause at at any cost. You know, if you're on one side of the table, and it's it's going to hurt a lot of people. It sucks. Yes. All right. Let's move on to the next hot button topic. Gotta get your dip tat. <laughs> I'm gonna keep saying that. Um, of course, if you can't understand what I'm saying, dip tet is diphtheria tetanus shots. <laughs> I don't think they're vaccinations, are they? Well, I mean, I guess you would consider those vaccinations. I think, yeah, I think tetanus is a vaccine. Well, yeah, it must yeah. be. Yeah, because it's preventative. I mean, it's yeah. you, you take it before you get the to prevent the disease if you happen to get tetanus or diphtheria. Um, but this actually is. It's tied to the vaccination issue. We're not going to get deep into that. But this is an article that was posted by the COO uh, here at Revive Health, Phil Stone, uh, from Harvard Business Review. And it's a fantastic article. It's really easy to get through. Um, I think that you have to have a subscription to Harvard Business Review. But like... When I'm looking at it, it says two of five free articles left. So we can post the link, and I think you can still access it if you haven't gone over your five-article limit already. And it's called Why Debunking Myths About Vaccines Hasn't Convinced Dubious Parents. And what I really want to talk about is what this article is, you know, the content of this article and how it applies not just to vaccines, but kind of make a correlation to how these points apply to what you're trying to do as a healthcare marketer in terms of changing your approach. Because as I've said, I say all the time to clients when I speak, you know, understanding and embracing the change that's in front of us in terms of, for example, adopting digital marketing, content marketing, moving away from the ineffective things like, you know, mass advertising campaigns, promotional advertising, that type of thing. Um, half the battle is understanding that that's something you want to do and can do your, you know, and embrace doing it. But the other half is convincing the rest of your organization to allow you to do it because we are, as hospitals and health systems, those of you that are in the marketing departments know this, you are beholden to those internal audiences, whether they are C-suite, operational leaders, physicians, the board, whoever. They have the power to snuff your change. And so if you can't bring them along with you, you're never going to get there or you're going to get there very, very slowly. And some of the learnings from this article, I think, apply to that. So um, where should we start with this? You want me to go through each of the... So the, the article basically sets as a premise, again, that some of the ways that people are using to convince folks who don't want to get vaccinations for their kids or anti-vaxxers. This isn't in there, but probably labeling them anti-vaxxers is not a good thing either. Um, are, are not only going to be ineffective, they will probably have the opposite effect of either deepening the beliefs of the anti-vaxxers or spreading the beliefs of the anti-vaxxers. Um, and it's really interesting when you go through um, and find this. And it's... Um, I'm trying to figure out what it's based on. Well, each one is based on different pieces of research, so we should probably walk through these one by one. Yeah. Um, what 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 it does establish first of all is that there is no and and I think this is well, I'm not going to say indisputable. Obviously, we wouldn't be having this conversation, <laughs> but 
but I think it's indisputable that the the scientific ev- there is no scientific evidence. Scientific being qualified science that connects vaccines to autism. We probably can't go. We, can, we probably can't even go the science route. Then maybe I, I'm probably jumping ahead here, but I mean, you can't. I mean, the people who go against this stuff are would be you know, this, it's the same type of people who go against like scientific proof that can that can back up anything. They go against science basically. They're, right, they're right. not only anti vaxxers they're anti science. Well, not all of them are anti-science, but your point is taken, right? It, and that's why I'm trying to qualify science. Science right. is actually, you know, there are rules to, to qualified science about how you prove or disprove something. And much of this came about, obviously, we know the history of the anti-vax movement, which is actually hundreds of years old, by the way. As soon as we, you know, um, established in this country early in the, I think, 1700s or 1800s that vaccinations were required, there was an anti-vax movement. Um, but but a lot of the most recent stuff, people, you know, kind of tie it back to Jenny McCarthy, but, but the real origin of it is a, a published study from the United Kingdom that... First of all, when you read this, it just makes you want to cry. A study of 12 kids. Okay. So first of all, if it's real science, probably doing more than 12 kids. Um, that showed a very scary correlation between vaccine and autism. Um, the first, you know, after a while. So that was held up by the anti-vaxxers for a long time as proof, scientific proof. But then they found out that there was tons of holes in the research, starting with the fact that there's only 12 people in it. Uh, and then they found out that the doctor who was behind it was actually paid by companies that had a stake in drumming up anti-vax kind of um, thinking. Uh, and so basically it was it was unethical, bad science. It was so bad that he was stripped of his license yep. to practice medicine. okay so but that that was enough to get this going, okay so. So now here we are. It, it, it continues. We've had some outbreaks of measles. Uh, California, which has a lot of loopholes in its law in terms of allowing parents to opt out of vaccinations, uh, is where this started. And so uh, people are drawing a correlation there. Though it started at Disneyland, so part of me wonders why whether you can really blame California because Disneyland brings people in from all over. But anyway, um, so that's the setup. And here are some of the arguments. The first one says... Arguing the facts doesn't help. In fact, it makes the situation worse. So all the things I just said, if I was talking to, to Jenny McCarthy, she would say, I don't care. It basically, it, it, it kind of goes to the, um, this doesn't talk about, but I've read this somewhere else. Calling anti-vaxxers stupid also has this effect. Um, whenever you're in an argument with somebody, you call them stupid for their beliefs. Does that ever work? That, you know, if you're on the receiving <laughs> right. end of that and somebody's like, what you think is stupid, does that make you go, hmm, you know what? They've got a point. Maybe I should rethink yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, I guess I am stupid. Right. It makes you feel defensive. And I think that's part of arguing facts because you're trying to logically say, look, all the facts align you. What other reason than stupidity must there be, even if you're not saying that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it says... People who have, and this has been, there's so much research that supports this. Um, When people have a frame of reference or an opinion on something, they look for and accept the evidence that fits their pre-existing views and deny 
others. So you could look at climate change as an example, another example of this, right? Um, hundreds of studies, the article says, all finding the same results. When you argue using facts and evidence, people generally reject or discount your evidence. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that's very fair. Well, and I, th- I think it plays into um, not only. Well, here's here's a good example. I think I know I know a number of people or I've seen this happen where people or I have like friends who like absolutely hate their job for whatever reason, uh, but they but they stick they stick with it. Um, but when it comes to, when it comes when all of a sudden if like the company they work for is is attacked publicly or something happens um, that attacks the situation they're in, suddenly they they like they go into defense mode and they defend. It's like they're all of a sudden they're defending the company they work for, even though otherwise they hate working there. Um, and I think that kind of plays into the same. It's like you want to defend your, your, your not, not even just your beliefs, but maybe the, the situation you're in because you know you maybe you feel like you can't change it or you're grounded in it for whatever reason. That it's just like there's this natural, I don't know if it's a defense mechanism mm-hmm. or, or whatever to just like to just like defend it or like when like kids like it could be a, two brothers who hate each other they're at their throats all the time but as soon as one you know outside of the house one kid starts getting picked you know little brother gets picked on by some bully and big brother's gonna jump in and kick that bully's butt he's, he's gonna go back home and kick his own brother's butt again because he hates him but you know it's like <laughs> he's there's there's just that defense thing that kicks in for for you know whatever reason i'm so i don't know i, I feel like there's a, a connection here somehow with people just defending something at all costs for almost irrational reasons yeah, well, it is irrational. That's exactly right. And irrational, not in like hysterical running around with your hair on fire. Um, rational as opposed to rational. It's it's not logical. It's emotional. Because right. these beliefs become part of who you are. So when you're attacking the belief, you're attacking the person. Whether you you try to separate that or not, if you have a very strong belief in something, it's it's you. It's, it defines who you are. So that's why, you know, saying anybody who believes that not getting your kids vaccinated is stupid or there's no evidence or whatever just makes people dig in. In fact, the, the, the article goes on to say that there are some studies that show that people, it actually increases their misperception. So, and, and I see this happen actually, so tying this back to, to trying to change how we approach healthcare marketing, I've heard this happen in a number of ways and it drives me crazy. It's, it's really a double standard and I've heard it like, here are two common ways I've heard um, pushback on, say, digital or content marketing. Uh, first of all, we need proof. We need evidence before we do this. We need proof <laughs> that this that this approach is going to work. Otherwise, we're not going to do it. And you want to say, but you don't have proof that what you're doing now works. Right. You might have awareness surveys of your mass advertising campaign. You know, but but most of what I've seen, I could tear that those results apart. Because they're just they're they're not real now. Of course, people have some people have real stuff, but overall, uh, it's a double standard when people are applying harder metrics or a higher bar for metrics to something new than they are to something that's existing. And arguing that hey, we here's how it works, you know, doesn't doesn't get you there because those facts don't apply to me or whatever. Or the other way I've heard it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the click-through rate. I see, you know, the conversion rate. But how good is this really? You know, so when you actually show them the facts, they dig their heels in more. You know, is this is this good or is this bad? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in terms of search engine marketing. 
You know, we've invested $5,000 and we've gotten this click-through rates and we've gotten this number of people to sign up for a class. But is that good? I'm not convinced that's good. Until I can see it benchmarking <laughs> against other people, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And again, you're not holding your other stuff to that standard. My answer to that is screw what other people are doing. What is your own goal? What's your own KPI? Right. That's what you're supposed to be worried about. But again... Um, Arguing facts doesn't always help. Okay, let's go to the next one. <laughs> this one scares me. <gasps> Repeating the myth inadvertently popularizes popularizes it. So let's yeah. see. This one kind of gets to... This one gets to a point that um, it's a, a tech journalist, who I, or not, not a journalist, a tech person, kind of app developer, actually, who I follow, who had recently posted his opinions on, on vaccination. And I think that, he, and I, I full-heartedly agree with his opinions on, I, I, I think this is something that's, like the anti-vax movement is, is something that's here to stay. It's not, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's a problem that we're going to have to deal with as a society moving forward for a long, long time. Um, and I, and he kind of likens it to, to smoking and where smoking has been in the past, where it is now, you know, at, at a time it was like perfectly acceptable on a societal level to be a smoker. You would see it everywhere. You, I mean, if you, you go back just like, I don't know, how, how old is like the movie Blade Runner? 20 years, 25 years no, ago? No, that's like late seventies. Oh, is it? It's older than that. Okay. So it's, it's, you keep talking. I'll look years. it up. Okay, so if you look at a movie like Blade Runner that was made in an era where smoking was perfectly acceptable, um, like the whole damn movie is filled with smoke, and there's nothing out of the ordinary about it. People are smoking everywhere in that movie. Um, Now, if you watch it today, that catches you off guard. It's like what? It's like what the hell? You know, people. It's it's just everybody's smoking constantly. It's it's a weird thing. Um, But I think as a society, we've gotten to the point where. You know, while there are still are certainly plenty of, I mean, smoking is still a tobacco is a big industry, and there's still plenty of people who smoke, and um, it, it's a, it's similar in 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 to the to the to the vaccination logic here, in that you know the the idea now is is the whole the stigma behind smoking and try to make people feel like they shouldn't be doing it or to be, feel like you're an outcast if you are doing it, um, with the hope of getting people to stop doing it. Uh, and there's all these movements around it that are, you know, you've got health insurance providers who are behind it. Um, and I feel like that's, that's probably what's going to have to happen with this movement, um, to get it to the point where it's similar to that, where where it's like, you've got enough people calling it out as calling, focusing on the negative side of it, not necessarily calling you an idiot, um, cause I think a lot of the good movements that do a good job when it comes to smokers of, of getting people to consider the alternative, which would be not smoking is, is not calling them names is not telling right. them they're stupid, but, but, um, showing them the, the benefits of, of alternate, alternate, alternative behavior. Um, I feel like that's where this is going to have to go. And I feel like that kind of plays into this section of the, of thinking when it, in, in this particular article. And actually, I think the next one is even closer to what you're talking about, Adam. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, there's some scary stuff in here. Like um, by repeating a myth, you unintentionally convert false claims into recommendations. As one study shows, they found that after three days, older adults misremembered 28% of false statements as being true. Once the false statements were repeated three times, the number of people confusing them as being true jumped to 40%. You think Brian Williams read this? I, 
You know, this is people need to get of off. Brian Williams brand. That's a whole other segue. <laughs> but people need to get off his butt. I mean, honest to goodness, can we? I, don't, all, I agree. I we agree. All can relate to what happened there, honestly. And I know he's a journalist, and he's a he's a prominent journalist, so he has to be more careful. But seriously, when you go back and read it, it's obvious how your mind changes your memories, and yeah, totally. You totally. simplify them, and you give yourself credit for things, and and whatever. Anyway. Um, repeating the myth inadvertently popularizes it scares me because what I said at the beginning of this podcast, the Joe public two book is flying off the shelf. (laughs) So the more we talk about how bad it is to, to rely on old, you know, marketing techniques, I wonder how much more people will actually try it, but who knows? Uh, three is, I think a little bit what you're getting at affirmation works, but we rarely use it. You know, um, I, I had a, I, I still believe, I mean, vaccination to me is a no-brainer. Um, I think there are yeah. fringe people that believe like it's some kind of government conspiracy to turn us all into zombies or whatever. But there are also people that have, and Jenny McCarthy's probably in this boat, um, who have personal experiences that defy logic. And if it was me, I'd go, you know what? You probably wouldn't convince me either. And so this came out in in the Star Tribune, so the Minneapolis-St. Paul paper, where they talked about how anti-vaxxers are feeling this giant backlash. And the story was of a mom who took her healthy baby. I don't remember how old he was, um, whatever age you would get um, some of these vaccinations, to the doctor, got vaccinations. Within 24 hours, the kid was like fever, seizing, whatever, and and turned out had autism and so she's going okay things were fine before my one o'clock appointment get the vaccination life turned upside down immediately after so i don't care what science you have this is my experience and i'm going to tell my story and you know the the scientific answer to that is look a certain percent of all kids get autism and there are going to be times if there's a hundred thousand kids with autism each year who who are diagnosed with autism each year, there's going to be four or five that happen to be diagnosed immediately after or closely after immunization. That's just the way it's going to work. That's that's the way the universe works, odds wise. But if you're a parent in that situation, I can completely relate to that, right? And so I think this is what you're getting at. The, the third one says affirmation works, but we rarely use it. Speaking to that parent and saying, hey, I totally get it. I completely understand why you believe this. I completely understand why you'd want to tell this story. You know, it, it's not about her being stupid. It's not about her being a weirdo. She's going off her own personal experience. And Jenny McCarthy uses that line all the time. So when she's when people throw science at her, studies and statistics she her name is her, the name of her kid is i can't remember if it's jordan or something but she'll say jordan is my science and sorry you're not going to win that argument i don't care how many scientists are in the room you're just not going to win it so there's got to be um there's got to be some empathy there's got to be uh you've got to step into their shoes you've got to help them affirm that they are good people this is not about them being good or bad people it's about how what they're doing. Th- there could be better ways to go about it, right? <clears throat> so, and 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 that's exactly what this article is saying. Instead of going on the attack, pro-vaccine advocates should reassure par- reassure parents that we know they love their children. 
Um, treating them as idiots or fringe lunatics only worse than a discussion about science. So when you think about that in your own world, uh, and I often advocate this to marketers, remember that your CEO, for example, has about 100 things on her plate. Your marketing campaign may be number 74. And in the scheme of things, it ain't keeping her up at night and not compared to the financial bottom line, physician acquisition, physician issues, quality, safety, uh, our EMR getting hacked, whether or not we're going to merge with the other hospital. I mean, the list goes on and on. So you've got to understand where your audience is coming from. You've got to empathize with the fact that, like, for example, hey, we understand we're trying to move away from, from this kind of approach and that you see it everywhere. We understand how disconcerting it is that when you look out, you see promotional marketing from all the other hospitals. We understand why that would give you some anxiety about why we wouldn't want to do that. You've got to acknowledge all that stuff. Yeah. And then finally, uh, I think finally, yes, we underestimate the power of narrative. And I don't know that in marketing we do that. I think actually in marketing we've heard a thousand and one times that the power of a story uh, and what it can do when it comes to change. And you can have all the spreadsheets and charts and graphs you want. But if you can tell a powerful story, it's what people remember it captures all of the change that you want. Um, I guess my example of that is tr- trying to convince people that Joe Public doesn't care about your hospital, right? And I've and I have broken down the numbers in any number of ways to show that the number of people who are out there in any market is, is very slim. Who the number of people who are actually looking for a new hospital and who would find your messages relevant. Um, but what's most powerful, what people talk to me about all the time, uh, which people tell me that they use themselves is the refrigerator exercise where I ask people to try to remember different aspects of refrigerators and only the people that have purchased a refrigerator recently could tell you which brands are known for quality, which brands are known for price, which brands have won awards, which brands have the latest technology. The rest of us can't. That's, that's a narrative. That's a simple narrative. There's no statistics. There's no research. It's just a, it's just a way to paint a picture that people get, and it's an aha, uh, and it has far more impact. Right. So um, Evan, I'm sorry. Jenny McCarthy's son is Evan. It's actually in this story. She says Evan is my science. So her story, her narrative, or the woman's narrative in the Star Tribune has far more power than all statistics and scientists in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to come down to telling, you know, telling some stories on the opposing side, um, in a, in a powerful way. You know, I don't, I don't know how, like, for example, how my story, my, the story of my child, would that impact somebody like Jenny McCarthy in a, in a way that would, could help them, would make them change behavior. Right. Um, right. You know, being that I have a, I have my, you know, my short version of my story, but I have to have a child with an immune deficiency born without an immune system. Can't have another child who doesn't have that issue. We've got, you know, he's fully vaccinated. We can't vaccinate our child who has no immune system because, um, you kind you kind of have to have an immune system to be able to deal with vaccines. Otherwise right. they're going to, they could potentially kill you. Right. Um, and, and that, so, but we have to rely on the, on the, 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 this herd approach to, parents vaccinating their kids so that we don't have to worry so much about, you know, our, our son 
catching something that some other kid is 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 toting around with them um you know we've got to worry enough about just colds and stuff like that let alone have to think about measles and other things that are potentially flying around out there so it's um i don't know we've, we've got to tell stories the right the right way to to make that impact it can't you know it can't just be the stories of the of the jenny mccarthy's and the evans which are certainly powerful stories and and um you know I I, to, I fully agree with you in that she's got, you know, as a parent, you, you know, man, you do anything for your kids. Right. So it's, and, right. and you, you believe what you see science be damned in some cases, but man, you gotta, you gotta, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta think and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be open to, you know, hearing these other stories too. But you know, those stories have to be told in a way that makes the connection. So yeah, that's the yeah. key. Yeah. So I think that's a it's a really interesting, uh, really interesting article and something we could all remember in our everyday lives in terms of how we deal with situations like climate change or at our vaccinations, but obviously in our jobs, uh, because if you're trying to move the needle, you're trying to move your organization a certain way. Uh, I think a lot of these apply because your change management is about moving people from their entrenched position to some other position. And all of this, I think, applies. So. Good stuff. Thanks, Phil, for for yeah. passing that along. Okay. How are we doing here on time? Oh, I'm uh, pretty sure we're at about 30. No, 41. 40, well, I got 41, but that's not the whole oh, show. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. You're right. We are, at about, <laughs> we are at about 40. All right. Well, anything else? I don't think so. There's some good talkers today. They were good talkers. Relevant talkers to healthcare and healthcare marketing. Hmm. Fantastic. All right. Well, if we got nothing else, we might as well sign off for the All arrogant right. healthcare market. Oh, you know what? I'm going to leave us with this if there's anybody still listening. We got to come up with a new name. <laughs> we knew that was going to happen. Um, got to come up with a new name. I'm tempted to come up with something that says arrogant healthcare marketing something else so that it's it's derivative, it's evolutionary, it's not a dramatic flip. Um, bastards is obviously the word that would, would is causing angst, um, <laughs> and rightly so. I understand that, so not a big deal. But if we could stick with a replacement for bastards, it's not a semi curse word. Um, then how I about, how about a hybrid of our old show and new show? It can be the arrogant healthcare marketing insights. Arrogant healthcare <laughs> I'm, marketing I'm insights. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. That's not bad. <laughs> I like the arrogant though because we're not going to change the format of the show. We're not going to change our vibe. Uh, so we, we and again, that's all tongue in cheek. That's what somebody else named us. So you kind of have to listen to the show to get that that we're really. I mean, I don't know. I don't think we're arrogant. I think we're pretty self deprecating, but um, right. try to be. We try to be. So if anybody's got any suggestions, but we're going to want to switch that probably within the month. So it aligns with some other things we're doing. We're finally we're finally morphing all of the interval website assets into uh, you know the old interval stuff into our new company Revive Health. So with that change, we'll 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 have a new name. So time's ticking here. You got a suggestion, yeah. and, you, and you actually hung on to the end of this podcast. Let us know. <laughs> we'll give you credit. You come up with the name, and we use it. We will give you credit. Mm-hmm. You out there in podcast land. So let us know. And with that, we'll sign off. For the All right. Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards, this is Chris Bevelo. And Adam Meyer. We'll talk to you next time. See ya.